All right, it is December 22, 2021, eight short days away from 2022. Uh, it's also Wednesday. That means it's ordinarily a blitz day, but, uh, you know, those chickens took the day off or took the week off, and we're not with them until next year. Doesn't mean, Norm, that our show's not going to go on. It is. So we're here on Lawyer Talk, uh, ringing in the end of the year, looking forward to next year. And uh, we're going to cover some stuff today like we normally do. I'm going to cover some uh, some news, some politics, some debate. I don't know. Norm and I sometimes get into it. I don't know we'll do that much today, but maybe. Um, sure. Uh, then uh, I want to talk a little bit about the history of Christmas, the lawyer talk way. It'll be exciting. Don't yawn, people. Yeah, don't give up. It's awesome. I promise. Right. I promise. Uh, Brett not here. He had uh, other things going on, so he couldn't make it, but that... Again, the show goes on, uh, whether it's uh, just uh, I holding down, that's right, just I holding down the fort, or if Norm comes in, or sometimes it's if I'm just sitting here alone, I, I phone in, but I always try to make the show go on, and the show is going on. So uh, at the end of uh, last week's marathon session, we were about to cover a, a topic here in the city of Columbus that uh, Norm wanted, uh, that Norm had brought in some info on. Uh, and I actually stopped him. I ended up cutting that part out. Nobody could hear that because I, I cut it out. That's how it works. But uh, <laughs> it's amazing what editing does. But I, I cut it out because I realized there was a lot to cover and unpack on it. And it has to do with the city of Columbus settlement um, uh, with, uh, boy, who are the defendants? After the, uh, the riots last summer uh, and those who got injured by the Columbus Police Department uh, who were uh, trying to quell the riots. And, and apparently there were some real injuries. I don't know. Um, but Norm, what do you got there? It was like a $5.75 million settlement paid, uh, to somebody in this case. Yeah. So what is always disturbing to me, um, is when municipalities or states or the feds, you know, when they settle, um, in a situation with what they would think uh, or consider to be nuisance money, you know, to, 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 to just get this you know, off their desk. And, uh, what it, what it seems to me in this case is, is similar, uh, to that kind of, uh, thinking that, you know, here, here comes a group of Antifa, BLM and, and other, uh, rowdies, um, you know, breaking windows, threatening arson, uh, impeding traffic, disturbing downtown, polluting, you know, trash all over the, the grounds, uh, all over the streets, sidewalks, uh, you know, things wrecked, uh, you know, bus stops destroyed, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, up and down High Street and and uh, off of High Street to a certain, uh, you know, depth, uh, you know, uh, east and west uh, through, you know, our city, our, our central city area. And uh, this is in the wake of George Floyd. And, you know, and I believe a lot of it's copycat you know, violence like, uh, well, gee, they're doing it in Kenosha and they're doing it in Chicago. So, you know, hey, let's get all our commie friends out and let's wreck downtown Columbus. So they so they do that. And the CPD comes out and they, you know, they try to put things, you know, right. Try to try to give law abiding citizens uh, access to downtown, uh, use tear gas, rubber bullets, um, I am not sure about your premise at all, Steve. What I had heard is that uh, they arrested a few people, but basically nobody was seriously injured or, or harmed. Um, 
it, and, and that may be a fact that uh, I do not have, and and uh, I'm I'm acknowledging that that to my understanding, none of the protesters were physically harmed. Um, uh, it, they just didn't like rubber bullets being fired at them, you know. Well, here here's what I can discern from this, and I, I confess that I have not uh, dug too deeply into it. But generally speaking, what we're dealing with is a 1983 action. This is a civil rights action, and so under Section 1983 of the U.S. Code, uh, it gives private citizens uh, the ability to sue the government when their constitutional or civil rights have been violated. Treble damages, I believe, and plus attorneys' fees. So attorneys love this. Sure. Um, right. Because they can get attorney's fees awarded. Often that is one of those things that's really just baked into the equation, like uh, into the settlement equation. But, you know, and, and here's the other thing I would say just to uh, to kick it off a little bit is that just because there's an attorney fee provision, uh, I've ref- it doesn't mean that lawyers are all going to take these cases and, and they're going to collect money. There, There's a lot of cases that I have clients where I believe that uh, maybe the arm was a little bit heavy on them during their arrest. Uh, and, but there's not a whole lot of damage to cause. In other words, no injuries. I know a lot of lawyers that I refer those cases to the good ones and they won't take them. Um, you know, they're like, look, it's just, even though there's attorney's fees, uh, we're, it doesn't have the value to them, uh, to take the case. So it doesn't, I would think that that provision would automatically create, um, sort of the floodgates of litigation in law school, they used to call that. But oh, yeah, sure. It, it doesn't really do that. I think because settlements are what people want, they don't want to have to go to trial. And it's really tough to uh, get a judgment uh, by a jury, even though you could uh, have a civil rights violation without injury. So uh, if, I, if I can jump in, if I can jump in then, uh, Steve, to make sure I understand this, uh, I'm not a practicing lawyer. I have a law degree, uh, but uh, never practice law. So uh, this is lawyer talk with one lawyer, that would be Steve Palmer, and one non, non-lawyer, Norm Murdoch, um, with, with a little uh, knowledge, which is extremely dangerous. So let me ask you this. So under uh, 1983 action, that, that's not a year, people. That's, a, that's federal code that Steve's talking about, 1983. Um, so under that uh, civil rights uh you know, t- t- take the case of, uh, you know, whatever, Randy Weaver, you know, up in the mountains of Idaho. So, you know, his wife and child get killed by the FBI sniper team and uh, he sues and, and the jury decides, uh, you know, or the or the judge decides the actual damages are. I'm just going to pick a number. One million dollars. The 1983 statute would allow that to be trebled. So it gets trebled to three million and his attorney fees covered. So. That's the same situation we're talking about here, right? It, it it's treble damages. I, I I think so. I think it does provide for. Uh, and what we're talking about with treble damages is uh, there's a lot of statutory provisions, not just in 1983 but elsewhere, that they say if there's a violation here of civil rights uh, of civil rights. But uh, like I'm taking sort of out of civil rights for a second. Like okay. consumer protection laws are oh, like this too. Sure. Okay. So if you bring a lawsuit because you've been ripped off as a consumer, sometimes it, the statutory scheme will provide for treble damages, or we call that liquidated damages, or something where it doesn't matter if you don't have much monetary uh, harm, uh, you can triple it up and make more. But again, I think what happens like with so many provisions like that, they, 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 be, they get baked into the cake, and it all gets assessed, and everything sort of adjusts to it. So, and, and I know that's hard to understand, but yeah. it's like, you know, if you do it regularly, like, I don't care about treble damages, because I still have to have, I know what can win these cases, and yeah. it's not going in with zero loss. 
Yeah, and if it's going to get negotiated, you're going to negotiate it to a number that both sides agree to. Yeah, so, and in short, yeah, short of a trial, it's like it never even gets that far. So it's really just the threat of it. But so that's what we're talking about. Um, In this case, particularly, it looks like there were 32 injured protesters against Columbus. Uh, at least three plaintiffs said they suffered broken broken bones. Now, this is an article I'm reading in the AP, so I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not reading actual facts. I have not read the pleadings in the lawsuit. Um, John Marshall is a lawyer here in town. He does that kind of work, and he's a good lawyer. He, he's he's known for this. I mean, I okay. uh, I can't say that he's a uh, you know he's not a charlatan or a, a right. carnival barker type of guy. He does uh, constitutional litigation like this and civil rights litigation. So he had the case. So 29 out of the 32. Um, did not say they suffered any broken bones. Three said they did. What What's a broken bone? Dislocated shoulder, a pinky finger out of joint. Who knows? Who, who knows? Who knows? But right. they had some actual damage, apparently. Okay, but they're um, also rioting. And there's a, well, we don't know. So I think I think what's going on here is this, and, and I think we need to paint the picture. Okay. We had a situation where there were, and I was there, uh, so I, I'm giving my eyewitness account, I wasn't there for all of it, but I was there to the, some of it that was occurring right here. Well, my building. Your, the studio here was in jeopardy. It was in jeopardy. Yes. So I was here at the office watching what was going on. <clears throat> there were a lot of people who were doing nothing wrong. They were just, well, let me, let me rephrase that. There were a lot of people there who were not slinging stones, uh, throwing water bottles, uh, Pe- spitting, peaceful, peaceful protesters. But I can't say they were doing nothing wrong because it was my understanding that there was no permit, there was no basis for them to be on High Street walking down the middle of High Street either. So by saying nothing wrong, I would say nothing violent, uh, I guess, by layman terms, by normal, ordinary terms. They weren't swinging at anybody. They weren't hurting anybody. They're just walking down High Street. Now, they're, to some extent, that was something wrong because you can't just walk down High Street um, at rush hour and start protesting. You know, you, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, and well, people, no, I, I wonder how many people were found in contempt of court because, you know, they, they couldn't get to court on time or they, they failed to, you know, transact something in downtown Columbus because they couldn't access it. It, it was really bizarre. And then what happens then? So I guess with that, with, with that notion or that picture, uh, let's finish painting it, uh, you have a lot of those people. And, and then you had... I would say fewer or, or maybe a minority of those people uh, in number, not in race or, st- or any other status, but you had fewer uh, who maybe were doing things. They were uh, taunting the police with uh, more than just calling names, but actually maybe a bump or maybe uh, from the back. I, I saw some uh, I saw some bottles getting hucked up over the crowd into the police. And uh, so it's, it's just one of these dynamic situations that would be very difficult to um well i can't handle steve i came down that week and i drove down high street you know and i saw trash all over the place i saw broken windows uh storefronts and horrible i mean come on man there 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 were you know i even saw burn marks on the sides of uh some things where it was clear they were trying to start a store or a building on fire so so uh, and, uh, and i'll give both sides of it so on the one side you have the police who say and, and maybe even my side to some extent, where I was like, if you don't stop this before oh, it gets crazy, right? Um, then it's going to get crazy. And that's exactly what happened on night one. And that's when Cat Singer's window was smashed out a lot, of, like way down south on high. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then the police, how do they then stop it if they're not allowed to use any sort of force, deadly or otherwise, or non-deadly or otherwise? Um, well, how do you stop it if people don't listen to you? Yeah, are we going to be the next Portland? 
Right. I mean, you know, I mean, you we have just, to stop it. You've got you, it, now. 100%. On the other hand, if you are just somebody who maybe even let's let's create a hypothetical that I'm sure yeah. didn't exist. Right. But uh, Norm, I want to go protest. I know this is going on tonight. It happened last night. But I don't want to be a violent person. I don't want to be somebody who's breaking the law. I'm going to go down to the courthouse. I'm going to get a permit. And let's just say in our imaginary example in law school world, uh, I get a permit and they say, Steve Palmer, you're allowed to go down there and you can protest. You have to follow the rules. You have to stay on the sidewalk. You have to do, uh, you can't be uh, violent. You have to leave by midnight, blah, 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 whatever it would be. Right. So I got my permit in hand. I stick it in my pocket. Now I'm in the, now I'm in the, um, in the group and lots of people there have no permits. Lots of people there are doing things that they're not supposed to do, like assaulting police officers by throwing crap and rocks and bottles and arson and property crimes, the whole nine yards. So the police end up with a response that's designed to sort of stop the whole thing before it gets out of hand. And then I get struck by a rubber bullet, even though I'm peacefully there in the back, not doing anything, or in the context of the police pushing everybody out using their horses or otherwise, uh, I get trampled and I break a leg, uh, it's, that's a harder, but more realistic scenario. Now take away the permit and just assume that somebody is there not doing anything wrong. They're not the instigators, but they're there to watch or they're there to uh, be present there. In fact, they have a constitutional right to be there if they're not trespassing, committing property crimes or otherwise doing anything destructive. Sure. Like channel six taping it. That's exactly right. And John Marshall, in his statement, indicated this is a, this is d- this settlement will help everybody, including news media who would just happen to be there. Yeah. So you, you, well, you that's know, that's clever of him. But that's, I, um, I have an argument for him. But but well, like, no, I'm with that, you. That's fine. But I guess he can uh, say that. I I always try to look at this in multiple different ways. Yeah. So from the police standpoint, what are you supposed to do? Like you can't. If it's chaos like that, you have to do something. There are bad actors in the mix, even though there's fewer bad than uh, there's there's be- more good than bad. But the bad are the ones that are going to shine. And then as you're handling the bad actors, uh, the good actors end up injured. How does that get assessed? I'm asking almost rhetorically. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you how. I'll, I'll tell I'll, I'll tell you exactly how. So if you're if you're in a situation like. Um, I don't know. Let, let's suppose that you're even um, a, a captive or, or you're a, um, you know, you've been, you've been kidnapped. Uh, you're, in a, you're in a classroom and somebody has come in and, and, uh, and taken over the classroom and they have a gun and you're totally innocent. Okay. So there's lots of innocent people that get caught up in violence and uh, you would never prosecute the police if they came in and stopped, um, you know, a, a school shooting uh, but somebody, you know, when they were taking down the bad guy, somebody standing right behind the bad guy also took a round and that person died or that person was uh, injured. You, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't take the, the sharpshooter to, to court and say that he violated the civil rights of somebody that he was trying to save. So I can make a very cogent argument against the attorney to, to say that the Columbus cops that were uh, trying to quell and contain the riot were trying to do so on behalf of the innocent people who were in that crowd, as well as the general society. You bet. And I would, and I would, I would analogize that to firefighters out in the, you know, out in the, out in the wilds uh, who set a backfire who 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 use fire to contain fire you know in other words 
uh, do a back burn to create a dead zone so that when the oncoming forest fire reaches the dead zone, it can't go any further. So, you know, there they are causing a fire, creating a fire, an artificial fire in order, you know, killing Bambi and killing squirrels and burning down uh, uh, trees in order to save the larger forest from being burned down. So there's always going to be, if you want to call it, this sounds crude, but leakage. There's always going to be uh, collateral damage. Um, You know, it was the protesters that created the pretext for the Columbus police to come in with counter, uh, very minimal violence to counter their uh, higher degree of violence and to suppress it. Let me let me agree and then offer more. Um, I agree 100 percent is that um, you wouldn't want to punish either civilly or criminally. And we're talking civilly. This isn't a prosecution where these, there's, these police are going to jail. It's a civil suit right. uh, for money damages uh, in this situation. Sure. You wouldn't necessarily say, I'm going to hold the police responsible when they were acting in effort to uh, stop the bad guys and then the good guys got hurt unless they did so with some degree of uh, negligence or recklessness or some, some other culpability beyond trying to do the right thing. Um, And then I'm going to go back even farther and I'm going to say it wasn't necessarily the protesters alone who started this and caused it. It was the city and the, I'm not going to say the police because the police were acting at the behest of the city. It was the city who didn't stop it immediately. And and this is where uh, I came in the office uh, intentionally saying it out loud on purpose. Listen up. There was a curfew in place a couple days after this. I think it was like 10 o'clock. And uh, I got in my car at 9.55 and I drove to my office because I was pissed that, I, that somebody said I wasn't allowed to do it. And, uh, and some of that was because I wanted to make sure my office was safe because I knew that nobody else was going to protect it or at least if there was a window broken, I could board it up or do something. Um, but, uh, you know, the point is, is that I was upset by that because – uh, actually, you know, somebody who was on the other side of an argument with me was saying, she was saying, you know, you should be happy that there's a curfew. It's stopping these people. It's getting them out of town. I said, no, oh. this should have been stopped ab initio from the beginning. This should have been stopped immediately. And she's like, well, don't you believe in free speech? I do 100% believe in free speech. I believe in a right to peaceful protest. And I also know that there's something called time, place, and manner restrictions that uh, have been constitutionally upheld, meaning you can't just shut down a city uh, in, on a busy day uh, it, it, and say it's your right. This is the this is the quintessential. You can't scream fire in a crowded theater. It's not protected speech when you do it incorrectly. Now, if the government is going to give permits to one, they have to give permits to others. They can't just say, "All right, KKK, have your permit," and then say, "Black Lives Matter, you can't have yours." They have to dole them out equally. Um, everybody has the same rights. Neither has the right to go downtown at rush hour and shut down the city. No. It's not protected. So I guess that's the backdrop I was trying to get at. It's like this was chaos. Um, It was utter chaos. And I think it was in part, the city is equally responsible by not employing measures immediately to put it down. And that's a political decision. That was a political decision. It should have been stopped immediately. As soon as somebody realized what's going on, it should have been stopped. Okay, so um, let's find Mayor Ginther for being a dumbass. Agree. You know, let, why doesn't he pay the $5.75 million out of his wallet? You know, why, why doesn't it come out of his executive insurance or whatever kind of package he has? 
Why are the taxpayers on the hook for $5.75 million? I'll bet you down at the Union Hall, the FOP Union Hall, these men and women that are the blue line that are protecting us every day, doing the best they can, 99% of them are, are absolute legit uh, great public servants making minimal money uh, f- to do a job that almost no none of none of the rest of us any rational you know uh, person who weighs the uh, the risk benefit ratio would become a police officer. You have to be somewhat inspired to want to protect your community. Ninety nine percent of them are like that. And then there's a one percent that, you know, have some kind of uh, control problem. But the vast majority are not that. And they're down there at the Union Hall looking at this settlement, I believe. And I'm not speaking for them, but I've got to I've got to put myself in their shoes. And And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I put myself on the line. I'm taking bottles. I'm taking cinder blocks. I'm taking bricks. I'm taking you know, maybe somebody down there had a gun, uh, probably did, you know, probably one of the protesters had a piece. I, I mean, I don't think that's, uh, uh, you well, know, maybe uh, lawfully, maybe unlawfully. Could, yeah, either I, way, yeah, I don't think it's here. unimaginable that that the other side potentially was armed. So here I am, a police officer. I'm down there protecting my community. I do everything right. I do everything by the book. Uh, we end up containing the violence. There is there is destruction in Columbus, but it's not on the scale of Portland. It's not on the scale of Kenosha. We, you know, C- C- Columbus came off relatively scot free in terms of how other cities fared, and the you know, police, instead of getting a pat on the back and a you know thumbs up for doing a good job and putting themselves out there, instead their bosses, city council. Uh, Zach Klein, the 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 frickin uh, city prosecutor, uh, and uh, I'm not going to say the police chief because Elaine Bryant put out a a, a fairly apro- apologetic memo to her police force saying, "I know this will hurt your feelings. I know it feels like it's not right. You know, hang in there." Was the essence of her statement. So I'm not going to lay this on her. It wasn't her decision. But city council, the mayor, and the and the city prosecutor should hang their heads in shame. They should have litigated this thing to the nth degree. The AP article that Steve just read says three people claim they got broken bones. No, they need to prove that. I mean, well, maybe they did. Well, hey, but uh, I, I think I think the better argument, and is, I would say, so what if and unless they were innocent bystanders, in which case, go ahead and pay their. Uh, Pay their hospitalization and take care of their medical, but that's not five point seven five million. No, this is a political settlement. Is that's really right. what you're getting at, and, right. and I think it's even more sinister in a way than what you're making it out to be. I think they are using the police as fall guys for their own bad decisions. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I think that's what's happening here. That's I, big. I, I think you have a government who tolerated a situation that inevitably was going to result in this kind of chaos. And then when it did result in the chaos, you're not saying it was, you're not taking any responsibility for not calling in the police immediately to stop it and get it under control, in which case nobody gets hurt. What you're doing is letting it go so far as to a situation where this is going to happen and almost invariably, and then blaming the police for how they dealt with it. So you create a situation or permit or tolerate a situation that puts the police in almost an unworkable position and then blame them for how they dealt with it. And that, I guess if I had any 
and and then you settle it and blame the police, right? So that's right. like uh, it's insane. And then the taxpayers get to pay it. It's insane. It's just as insane as a mayor of Portland uh, telling the police to abandon that substation that the Antifa BLM people then burned to the ground, right? Uh, quite unlike the January 6th, sure. quote, insurrectionists, unquote. So it depends on, you know, whose violence, uh, you know, uh, do you want to defend? Uh, so, you know, we, we treat people very differently. Norm, norm, norm. It's not whose violence you want to defend. It's whose violence you want to permit. <laughs> and yeah. then what political gain are you going to get from it? Yeah. You know, you can permit the January 6th stuff to some extent. And I understand now there's like, there's like FBI is investigating uh, pipe bomb deliveries that happened before. I mean, there's some really funky stuff going on on January 6th. Not to say the actors weren't responsible. They certainly were, but there's more to it. And then, you know, I think there was a, some uh, texts and tweets came out of uh, uh, Chicago. What's her name? Lightfoot, where she was like, how are we to the effect? I, I read it to the effect that how are we going to take advantage of these riots politically speaking. So you sure. know, you, you permit right. it and then use it as a political platform to do what you want with it. Exactly. And I think to some extent, that's what I'm saying here. And I'm not, <clears throat> I, you know, it, it, and it doesn't have to be an intentional act. It could be that the city just didn't want to be the one sticking their necks out to stop it because they're afraid of political repercussions, but they did it. And their job is to make those hard decisions. They didn't make the hard decision. They permitted it. Now the police uh, it's too late. You know, they're called in too late to really handle the problem right. immediately because I was down there and I'll tell you, Here's what I saw. And I wasn't down there for all of it. I, I take no, I, I, I am not saying that. But what I saw was a, a handful of really bad people doing bad things. The police, by and large, trying to do what they were supposed to do without causing any harm. You know, you had guys right up in a cop's face, almost spitting at him the way they were talking in, in the cops standing strong and just standing there and, and not moving. And you know, I texted a buddy of mine who's a police officer, very close friend, and he is a he was a guy at the time that would ride horses. He was on the horse patrol. The guy you'd see down at the football games on a horse, I'd always go talk to him. And and you know what I said to him when I texted him? I said, I hope you're okay, and I hope that you guys can keep those young officers uh, calm, relaxed, uh, and under control because I was worried that they were going to get provoked um, in, in because they're human, not because they're bad. You right. Know? And... and you know, he said, he's like, brother, we're doing the best we can so far. So good, you know, because yeah. it was a really hard time for them sure. to deal with it. And you can say, well, I mean, Steve, th that was, I mean, to, to take us back into that period of time, that was at the height of the defund the police movement. Sure. Okay. The city of Columbus had done a number of, you know, a number of things to hurt police morale. And this is like the cherry on top. You know, they took away CPD's right or right. I mean, I say right. They took away the citizens right to be protected by the CPD on college campuses. So CPD can't go onto Ohio State premises and, and enforce the law unless they're specifically called in. They took that away from from us, from the public to be protected by CPD. They also um, some of the other crazy things that that they did. Uh, Mayor Ginther called in uh, Biden's uh, Department of Justice. I mean, he called in an artillery strike on his own police department asking for oversight from the Department of Justice because he just wanted to preempt any public complaints about, you know, police uh, tactics or police attitudes or whatever. 
uh, without any basis for that. He just he just did it, you know, as a as a photo op, you know, to make a virtue signaling to make himself look, you know, like, oh, I'm hypersensitive to the inner city community, which is total crap. We, we had a black police chief, Mayor Jack or uh, Chief Jackson, um, and we've had uh, we have a, a black police officers union. There are the FBI, the FBI and Department of Justice reached a settlement with the Columbus Police Department, the city of Columbus, years ago. This this department, CPD, has been investigated and reinvestigated multiple times by the feds and, ha- and was released from that that oversight. And then Ginther brings it back onto them without any pretext at all, just because, you know, we're in this age of. Uh, where we're going to, um, you know, we're going to investigate the police because they're the problem with crime. It's not the criminals. It's the cops. I mean, give give me a frickin' break. So if I was a cop, I can't imagine what the morale must be. It must be so low right now. Um, and I just want to say, and that's on behalf of me, I just want to say to police officers that in general, yeah, I've gotten tickets from police. I've been uh, I've been treated, you know, in a way that I would consider unfair now and then. But I would say 99% of my interactions when I got a ticket or when I've been, uh, you know, uh, pulled over or when I've been uh, asked somebody knock on the front door, hey, we're hearing a little noise here, you know, is everything all right? I would say 99% of my uh, interactions, um, and, and, and I'm a little swarthy. I'm not exactly snowy white. So, uh, you know, I used to have a fro. So, uh, you know, I was always treated 99% of the time with respect. And I always felt good about calling the Columbus police or the Franklin County sheriffs or the Ohio State Highway Patrol or whatever. So I'm I'm reaching out and I'm saying thank you. Uh, and I and I want you know no you're not perfect. You're doing a damn good job otherwise though. Yeah no and I I guess uh, I I got nothing to no qualms with anything you said there. I I think again I, I'll stick by my guns. Is that most of the police did a great job? Yeah. Um, and maybe almost all. Uh, and then the question is, why did all this happen? Right. And and what's the political motivation for a settlement like this? So, right. Right. I'm a. I'm Steve. I'm. I'm just not expecting perfection. I mean, that's of course the, not. That's right. The sta- If the standard is perfection, that's ridiculous. I mean, uh, no, that's, that's right. It's crazy. And, and then, and then the other thing I'll say about just general interaction with police, I have, I have a pretty unique situation. I, I, I have a unique, I don't want to say unique perspective, I guess doing my job as I have now for the better part of 26 years, I have represented folks charged with crimes. That means the police have been involved in almost everybody that I have dealt with. And uh, I've seen good, I've seen bad, I've seen assholes, I've seen very nice guys, I've seen professionals, I've seen unprofessionals, I've seen men, I've seen women, I've seen black, I've seen white, I've seen Asian, I've seen them all, you know, and, you know, generally speaking, um, here's my take on police work. They're human. (laughs) They're human. They're not perfect. No. Uh, I think there is a a reason to have a, a, a goal of perfection with the understanding that it is only a goal and they're going to fall short sure. as we all do. Right. Um, That's my goal when I race cars. I bet. want to be perfect. Am I expecting to be perfect? No. And and I think police respond to the same motivations that the rest of us. And my theory on this is for years and years and years and years in my practice, I saw judges, um, Democrat judges, Republican judges, 
judges who I didn't even know what their political bent was, if, if it even matters at that level. Right. Giving police a little bit of a pass when I think they shouldn't have. Giving police a little bit of pass when maybe the search wasn't so perfect. Maybe the search warrant uh, was fudged a little bit. Maybe sure. uh, the stop, they, they, you know, they had a little white lie, or we call it testifying in, sure. my, in my line of work, and yeah. saying, how dare you question these officers? They have to do these things every day. And, and here's, here's, what I, here's what I have surmised from this. There has, from that, human behavior responds. And they, they, a lot of police become sort of invincible by this blue line concept and everything else. And they, they, they think they can get away with it. Maybe even imperceptibly, they just think, well, you know, we can just do this. And, and here's why I think if you're a police officer, you should follow the rules. If you're a citizen, you should follow the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, you should be held accountable for not sure. following the rules. Well, I, yeah. So what you're saying is you and I stand with Frank Serpico. Okay. Yep. Right. Okay. So uh, I believe in, you know, uh, I believe contrary to, you know, maybe the um, maybe the slack that's given police officers in the courtroom, like, you know, their testimony is taken with a little bit more credibility than an average citizen because they're, uh, you know, they're sworn uh, to tell the truth and they're sworn to protect the public. And and so, yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. The judge you know, I go in and say, this didn't happen. A police officer comes in with his, you know, a glittering uh, uniform. And he says, no, no, Mr. Murdoch's incorrect. Uh, no, it did happen. And, you know, I'm here with my prestige and and, and putting uh, my good faith on the table. And the judges will tend to believe the police officer over a regular citizen, everything else being equal. I understand that. And that does, and that does present a, a challenge to you, a defense attorney. Well, I get I, that. And then you wonder what the political motivation of that is. So why, why, why do that? Why, like if I'm a judge, you know, what would upset me the most would be a cop who cut the corners, fudged the rules, okay. did yeah, something, right. even if it, even if the outcome resulted in what you would want, like the bad guy went to I jail, agree. I, there would be nothing that would irk me more than that. And if sure. I caught a police officer, if I had a hint of a cop sure. uh, fudging it, I would come down. Yeah, like a throwdown gun. So, so, so obviously, this guy shot his wife. He threw the gun in the Scioto River. Along comes a cop. He's got an unmarked gun. He 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 tells the guy, "Here, hold this gun." The guy holds the gun, looks at the cop like, "What the hell?" And he goes, "Thank you." And the cop throws it on the ground. Let okay, me, I, but I'm a talking throwdown. even so more I get, subtle. I get it. Let me let me give you an example. I had a case. This is a true case. A uh, guy was pulled over on the side of the road. Yeah, and um. The first officer, I'm not going to even name where it was or what the force was because I don't want to cause any controversy, but he was pulled over by by the first police officer on the side of the road. And um, the officer, as he pulled him over, said he smelled burnt marijuana in the car. Um, For whatever it's worth, my client said, no, I mean, no way. Uh, But that's what the first officer said. Uh, So it's a, it, it is a, OVI or DUI stop, even though it was for like burnt marijuana, it doesn't matter. It could be yeah. alcohol, it could be burnt marijuana. But generally, when somebody's pulled over for that kind of thing, the presumption is it's alcohol. Yeah. Second cop happens to be driving by. Now, remind you, all this is on video and audio camera. Okay. Second cop goes back to the back of the cruiser of the first cop where my client was sitting. Right. And perturbed because. He said, look, I just came from work. I'm a sweaty mess. I work in a machine shop. It's 100 degrees. I need to get home and take a shower. It's 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Second cop sticks his hand in, or sticks his head in the window 
and says very um, obviously, wow, oh boy, I do smell that alcohol back here. And first cop realizing that that's a bit of a gaffe because the stop wasn't even related to alcohol. It was yeah. for marijuana. Yeah. Uh, says, oh, no, 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 no. We, we think there might be some marijuana issues. Oh, yeah, I smell that too. <laughs> okay. All right. That's the kind of crap I'm talking about. Yeah, sure. And, you know. Well, I, I told my New Albany stories, the old New Albany police, okay. Not the current crop, not the current New Albany police, but this is, you know, 15, 20 years ago where I was harassed. So I've told that story. Yeah, the police, um, you know, my father was a judge. Uh, you know, he found uh, cops uh, perjuring themselves occasionally in the city of Cincinnati. So, yeah, hey, they did, they, I guess it and, happens. And, and, it happens. It doesn't make them any worse or any better than anyone else. Right. They should be held accountable. Now, the sure. accountability in that case, in that right. situation, whether it's internal discipline, uh, I don't know. Right. But when that case goes into a courtroom, it ought to be broomed. It ought to be thrown out. Uh, and there ought to be a consequence for that. And, you know, our, right. our court created this, uh, or not our court, the Supreme Court has created something called the exclusionary rule. When right. bad stops occur like that or bad searches, right. they throw the evidence out. Right. Um, and too often, though, for the last couple decades, cops are getting a pass on that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, and you know, but also, Steve, there are there are outrageous examples of of police having to change uh, it, good good cops like uh, the the Ferguson Missouri uh, Michael Brown incident where that police officer uh, with a, a a predominantly black jury was found innocent of uh, of all charges uh, that that Michael Brown reached in the cruiser struggled with the cop uh, over his gun. And then the police officer shot Michael Brown. There was no hands up. There were no witnesses that said that happened. And that police officer was no longer able to be a police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, I don't know where he is. And if I knew where he was, I wouldn't say. But I imagine he went way up north to Alaska or way out west, maybe changed his name. I don't even know if he's a police officer. So, you know, where does he get his reputation back you know, we, we have we have really gone overboard, I think, and this settlement is part of that trend. We've bent over backwards to accommodate outrageous behaviors on the part of people, and we've tolerated false narratives like uh, "hands up, don't shoot." That people still believe to this day that Michael Brown w was shot to this day, to despite this day. The, to this day. the Obama administration did a DOJ investigation. Oh, for of God's it. sakes, it's um, unbelievable. I think uh, there's been like three federal investigations. It all comes out the same. No, there's a common thread to what you and I are both saying, and that is this: police are human. Um, and and the the problem is when the political powers that be either protect them or throw them under the bus. Uh, it's a problem. Sure. So I don't think we should expect police to behave any differently than the rest of us, aside from the fact that they have. They have some training, so but you get what I mean. It's like yeah, the, the, right. their human nature is human nature, right? And is say the case I mentioned, or somebody gets caught fudging a suppression hearing in a, in a case where evidence could be thrown out, and the judge gets mad at me because I suggested it, right? Um, or the case like you're talking about, where a cop is thrown under the bus because of a narrative that politically makes sense. They're both political decisions. That's what I'm saying. Well, let me and let it's me the politicians blowing it. Let me throw a stat at you because you mer you mentioned uh, Mayor Lightfoot uh, or lightweight, as I call her, up in <laughs> Chicago. Um, so the uh, Columbus City FOP uh, representative was on uh, on social media 
uh, this past weekend. I happened to be listening, and he brought up a statistic about Chicago. So Chicago has had over 4,000 shootings so far this year. And, you know, now it's probably, you know, 4,200. But at that, you know, on Saturday when I heard this gentleman, the the FOP uh, representative for the CPD speaking, he said right around 4,000. Do you know how many of those 4,000 were cop involved out of the 4,000? I would say none. 20. Oh, 20. All right. So 20, almost. And what does cop involved mean? That just means that the the police officer in those shootings was the person who discharged a weapon. So there were 4,000 people shot in Chicago as of Saturday. 20 out of the 4,000 were shot by a police officer. And we're not saying wrongly. No, no, no. Just involved. Just involved. And what about race? On race, race on white, white on black, black on black. It's off the hook. Well, everybody, the people who run Chicago, right, look like the residents of Chicago. So, you know, Lori Lightfoot, et cetera. You know, it is African-Americans. It is women. It is the traditional minorities, the Latinos. Those are the folks who are largely in positions of power now in these metropolises, in these city governments. And, you know, that includes Columbus. No, it's um, I, I agree with you. And the problem is, that, again, those are political problems. If it's if it's tolerated, it will continue, whether it's the criminals committing crimes. But it just shows you, just Steve, my only point is about that statistic. This this fiction that's been created, that cops are out there patrolling the streets, looking for young black males to mow down is is crap. It's it's demonstrably crap, and that statistic yeah. that st- the statistic proves it. Statistical it's just, nonsense. It's it's nonsense. Now let's uh, let's shift gears. This is a nice little shift. I want to do one more thing to okay, close man. out the um, yeah I'm the done Columbus on the settlement because there sure. was the, the only other thing we should comment on. And I'll just do it really quickly. There was an injunction that was agreed upon, a permanent injunction that says a whole bunch of gobbledygook. But it, it, it I'll read some of it. It says the police are. This was agreed by the city of Columbus. Uh, the, the city of Columbus, including its division of police, is restrained from using all or using non-lethal force, including tear gas, pepper spray, flashbang grenades, rubber bullets, wooden pellets, uh, batons, body slams, pushing or pulling or kettling, whatever that is, uh, or on nonviolent protesters to enforce dispersal orders, traffic laws such as clearing of the streets or sidewalks and or misdemeanors. All right, that's the first part. So it says, like, you can't use nonviolent force. It's like, well, well, how do you stop those things? Yeah, am I allowed to use violent means then? Right. So, and then I but, can't use nonviolent. And then they, 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 then the agreement, this is in the agreement, it doesn't about face. And it says uh, that we're not committed with actual or imminently threatened physical harm or property destruction or with attempted or actual criminal trespass on private property or secured government buildings, facilities, areas, or structures. So it almost, then it, then it like sort of pivots and gives like this weird exception that almost swallows out the rule. So it's like, uh, remember the jerk, the movie? Yeah. It's like, so basically anything, <laughs> uh, you know, somebody's like, he's, he's a carny barker at that point. Mm-hmm. And you got to, you got to throw the thing and throw a dart and win a prize. And he's like, so you can be, no, he's guessing your weight. <laughs> so it's like, uh, come win some crap and anything <laughs> below this shelf right. and over here yeah, and under right. there. It's like the smallest little right. thing you targeted. <laughs> and that's like what this is saying. This is like complete <laughs> political right. uh, whitewashing of all. It's like it's right. saying nothing, but right. it sounds good. And it, it, it offers no guidance on well, anything. It's also an indictment of uh, 
of of the uh, of the uh, plaintiffs because they didn't get any kind of policy change that amounts to anything. It shows that they were purely after money. And that's what they got. Five point seven five million. They didn't change diddly squat, except they embarrass the police. They'll be able to go to the next riot, get right up in a cop's grill and shout, hey, I'm here to become a millionaire just like last time. Yep. And I don't think that that five point whatever mill represents accurately the damages that may have resulted, like even if it had, like I, I, I like you said, it's like, all right, it, what's it worth? What, what are the damages worth? It was a political settlement. It That's looks right. political. It sounds political. Right. It's a virtue signaling. We right. can say it. Now, let's shift gears real quick. There's okay. a gal named, uh, um, uh, what's her name? Potter in okay. Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, she has been on trial yeah. for uh, discharging her actual firearm instead of her taser. And this is the one where this one this one gets my dander up a little bit more, uh, maybe than than some of the other stuff because I I, I maybe not my dander but I, I feel like so basically let's do the scenario first. She goes and pulls somebody over. She and another officer uh, as they in the in the uh, citation or they pull the person over for a failure to register their license plate or something some valid traffic stop. It turns out the uh, driver. Um, was uh it had a warrant dante wright had a warrant and his warrant was for uh failing to appear i believe at another court appearance where it was a traffic stop that he tried to flee and had a firearm on his person um so to put that in perspective so they're pulling somebody over who's got a prior uh not only a warrant for missing court but a warrant for missing court for having a gun uh and fleeing and and this is you know, so it's a it's a difficult situation, I, I would think, for police officers to deal with. Like, I don't, I don't know what their training would be, but I would think that if you ever see uh, a cop with his gun, his or her hand on their gun, or even drawn as they're approaching a, a car at a traffic stop, it's because they know stuff like this. It's because they know the person has in the past and could be now armed and dangerous. It's a it's a very difficult scenario. So I'm saying that because now all of a sudden, being human police officers, you get the adrenaline, you get the heart rate. You think this one is not going to be just uh, Norm Murdoch in, in uh, New Albany with, uh, with, with a license plate issue. And let's uh, just insert here that you and I both know a lot of police officers who in the course of a 20 or 25 or a 30 year career have never once had to pull their, right. their revolver. So, so this may be the first time she's ever had to yeah. resort to any kind of force. Correct. So we don't know. And it turns out the guy Dante actually does resist in some way, shape, or form. Um, and Potter is screaming, uh, "Stop! Stop! Stop! Or I'll tase you! Tase him! Tase him! Tase him! Tase him!" She she uh, pulls out what she believes is her taser, pulls the trigger. It's her gun. Um, she's indicted on that. In, in in other words, Steve, just to clarify this, she pulled out her revolver and her claim. Uh, her 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 explanation is that she thought she had pulled her taser, announced taser, 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 and instead she had pulled out a revolver. Correct. In the heat of the moment, that's that's her statement. That's her statement, and it's on video. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that is but those I mean, are facts. Yeah. Her intention was correct. Uh, I'm saying her statement, being her, her intent, as she has expressed it, was not to pull her revolver. Was to pull out her taser from its holster, right, and apply the taser, not applied lead 
And I uh, agree with you. And if I were arguing her case on that one point, in other words, if somebody tried to say, no, she intended to kill this guy with a gun and hardly an accident, I would say, well, then you would have to ascribe to her a pre-calculated motive and design to fudge the real-time video and audio cut. It's like, you have to say, all right, so my plan is to kill the next person I pull over. And if he happens to be black, I'm going to kill him for sure. So this and, is video and, and, that she knew she, she, yeah. she was wearing. Yeah. They're wearing. The camera. Yeah, yeah. So she knows it's being videotaped Correct. and yeah. she's saying taser, taser, taser. Right. So you would have to say that if that's not true, if she didn't really think it was a taser, she was intentionally fudging the video footage. And I, I you know, I, I could yeah. that happen? I suppose it could, but I, I that's, that, that's pretty unlikely. But so, to what end? Right. Yeah, I, I think generally speaking, she screwed up. Yeah, she panicked. She panicked, grabbed the wrong weapon. Right, her training was inadequate, or she didn't. Yep. She didn't uh, closely, uh, you know, uh, she didn't digest her training. Yeah, so that, you know, and she's charged with manslaughter. And and we had this conversation off the off the air about what yeah. manslaughter is. And you're like, well, should that be manslaughter? I was like, well, I don't know. It all depends. And you're like, what does yeah. that mean? Min- like, well, Minnesota law could be, yeah. you know, yeah. So Minnesota law basically says, on or about here's what here's what the complaint said against her on or about April 11, 2021. Uh, in Brooklyn Center, Hennepin County, Minnesota. Potter caused the death of Dante Wright by her culpable negligence, whereby Potter created an unreasonable risk and consciously took a chance of causing death or great bodily harm to Dante Wright. Um, Consciously. Wow. Yeah, these are and these are wow. the kind of things that we run into as defense lawyers. It's like consciously. You know, so they have a they they're gonna be a there's gonna be a definition up there of culpable negligence, and there's gonna be a you know, unreasonable risk may even be defined. Um, and then consciously took a chance of causing death. So by her negligence, she consciously took a chance. So this is a questionable charge to me. I, you know, I, 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 is it, um, you're asking, is that manslaughter? I was like, well, it might be a version of manslaughter. I don't know what other versions yeah. they had, whether there's a lesser included or something else. Right. So if it just said, as a result of a negligent act, you caused the death of another, well, that's easy. Yeah, um, because that's called negligent homicide here in Ohio. Isn't the danger of overcharging uh, that the jury will see that it's an overcharge and find the person innocent? Yeah, that, when you, because, when you because, overreach. Yeah. Because they're like, well, wait a minute. You know, uh, we don't really know what this means in terms of a perhaps a mandatory sentence or something. But maybe they can't get past the word consciously. Yeah, because and, she, her defense is she unconsciously pulled out the revolver. Correct. She thought it was a taser, not a revolver. She even yeah. announced taser, taser, taser. So, I and mean, then afterwards you can tell she's like like shaken up and, and clearly, well, I mean, you know, so, so really she's incompetent. Shouldn't be a police officer. I mean, by her own admission, she, she's a screw up. Okay. It, 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 so f- now this, so what do you really charge? It's a civil with? rights problem. Yeah. This is a 19, this is a classic lawsuit. This could be a, easily, Easily. Um, a, a neg- I mean, because negligently, the, by her negligence, she caused a death. Now, the defense, either way, though, yeah, is still there. Right. And that is, I would be asking, as I defended this case as a defense lawyer, I don't care if it's a police officer, I don't care if it's a citizen, I don't care who it is. Yeah. Um, I don't care what their color is. I represent everybody. Sure. Right. And, and I do yeah. the best. Yeah. I'd be thinking to myself, what if she intentionally pulled the gun? What if she intentionally shot the gun? Right. Was that permitted under the circumstances? Right. And that's a very unpopular question right now in this day and age. But would it have been permitted? Did she well, have a privilege to use deadly force <laughs> sure. when she pulled somebody over right. with a prior history of resisting arrest uh, with a firearm 
Uh, and I don't know if she had that knowledge at the time she pulled him over. I assume she did. Yeah. Uh, may, she may not have. I don't know. Um, you know, then could she have used the gun? And I don't know the answer to that question, but that'd be my first thought. Yeah. And then you find a defense. And then my second thought would be, where does mistake come into play? Ohio has a mistake can be a defense in certain cases in Ohio. I can have a mistake of fact, not a mistake of law, a mistake of fact, uh, and, and bake that in. And you've already done it, Norm, by sort of talking like, what is consciously? Like it's it sort of, it sort of um, implicitly uh, allows for a little bit of leeway for somebody not doing it on purpose. Yeah. Um, and that's where mental elements, mistake of fact, um, negligence, basically. Yeah, right. And, and here, I don't know how this comes out, but what, I, what worries me about charges like this is that I think clearly there is some culpability here on Potter. Um, if it's, if all, if everything we're saying is true, she made, if she made a mistake and she weren't otherwise allowed to use deadly force or didn't have to, she's got some culpability. It right. doesn't necessarily mean it's criminal culpability. Right. It might be civil. It might be whatever. Right. But as soon as they overreach, yeah. as soon as the prosecution for right. political purposes, yeah. over indicts a case. Yeah. White cop, black, uh, uh sure. assailant, uh, in the state of Minnesota. And yep. we know what's going on in Minnesota. Yes. Right? What if she gets acquitted? Yeah. Now we've got chaos. Yeah. Now, it, now, on the other hand, what if there would have been a charge that's not this one or maybe not? An, I, I can't even say this is an overreach. I don't know the law out there. We're talking sort of hypothetically and right. using this as a, as a means to do it. But right. you could easily have a situation where, um, you know, she would be charged with like negligent homicide and it fits. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be like in Ohio, that would be a felony of the first degree, what she's yeah. charged with. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like, wow. Well, you know, she didn't do it on purpose. You know, it's tragic. She didn't do it on purpose. Right. Does that really fit? And if the prosecution or the government takes a stand, politically speaking, and, and because I've, I have found, knock on wood, that's us knocking on wood. <laughs> I have found this. The, the jury system tends to smoke that stuff out. Not always, right. but tends to do it. Juries, sure. like we live in a little vacuum in a trial. Well, like, like, Ritt, like the Rittenhouse. Like Rittenhouse. Like exactly. You get into this little vacuum yeah. and you know the real world is out there and you know it's out there, yeah. but the jury tends to understand like yeah. the real story. Yeah. This guy, you know, they're, they're showboating this trial. I, I could see if they had charged her with negligent homicide, if there's such a thing in Minnesota, probably is. That she might have just no low contender and just, just plead guilty. Yeah. And plea just guilty. say, yeah, listen, but let me explain what I did. Such and, a great point. Exactly. The point you just made. This is a is, show trial. Is so significant because nine times out of 10, I don't know what statistically it is with trials anymore, but nine times out of 10, I'll just say sort of uh, euphemistically that uh, uh, cases resolve. They don't, they don't go to trial. Yeah. Um, and, and if I get this case and they're not budging off this charge, I'm trying it. Yeah, but bet. if they were to charge a negligent or even a reckless homicide, yeah. I, I would probably talk to my client about taking the deal. Absolutely. And, and you know, th then you get your conviction. The person is held accountable right. for what they did, not more. Right. Uh, and certainly not less. Right. And everybody goes on. Yeah. But because you've made it political, you have overindicted it, you have overcharged it, right. and now, right. if and when Potter is acquitted, chaos ensues. Yeah, sure. And, and you know, shame on them all. If that's, what, if that's what it is. That's right. right. Well, yeah. Oh, boy, that was exhausting. It really, really, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's really sad. So uh, I, I think I've said this before, so I'll say it in 10 seconds. You know, when, when I went to journalism uh, at, in university, uh, 
and, and got my degree, um, minor in journalism, um, we were taught absolutely not to lead with the race of the people involved unless the race was the story. This is not, to me, a race story. This is a story about a cop and a, a would-be uh, arrestee. And, uh, and, and the race, if, if you want to get into that as a journalist, would be way down at the bottom of the story. The only reason why this has become a nationalized uh, kind of incident uh, is is because of race and and the media has amped this up and we had been taught 40 years ago as 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 putative journalists we were taught not absolutely not to do that because race should be irrelevant uh, to the facts of the case and that is not what journalists are doing today and I detest that I condemn it I think it's part of what is uh, dividing us as a society is the first time there's a cop involved shooting. The first thing the media wants to know is the uh, is the racial makeup of of the parties involved. I think that's so terrible, and I think it's abusive, and I think it it's harming the public, and it's slanting people's uh, opinions, and it it's creating presumptions, which we had a president at one time, President Obama that would jump with both feet into these kinds of cases and pre-announce what he thought the outcome of a trial should be. And, uh, you know, whether it was well, you know, I mean, Tavon. We had Biden, we had Biden doing that Biden doing both that. the most recent show exactly. trials, all three of them. It's, it's well, absolutely ridiculous. Let me, let, me, let me go even further and, 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 and say this. It's not just that the first thing they want to know is race <sighs> and whether they can make a race game out of it. It is they will ignore it if it doesn't fit the narrative, it doesn't get reported. So if it's white on white, if, if, if Potter shoots a white guy, I wonder if it ever even gets reported. Hell no, it doesn't. And, and you know, they don't even want to know it. So, and then Hell when you no, see like a, the shooting in, um, where was the most recent one? Uh, or no, the, the thing in Wisconsin where the guy drove through the crowd of Christmas paraders sure. and killed a bunch of people. It the didn't black, fit, it didn't fit the narrative. Well, the black supremacist, because, right. because he, he had, he had uh, social media track record, of of uh, condemning and hating uh, people that you know don't look like him. He's yep. he's black, and the other people are white. And and that doesn't get reported or it gets no. downplayed. Right. And then I think even more, and maybe this is something relevant to Potter. Where so maybe, sad. Maybe race does matter in the way that uh, so it's in a, in a different way that I think is far more dangerous. And that is this. Um, there's this. You know, everybody has probably heard this. This I call it the law of unintended consequences where so much government action, so much stuff that uh, goes on has a consequence that is the complete opposite of what is intended. Right. So take Potter in the midst of everything that was going on in the country and she's pulling somebody over and say she knows that the guy happens to be uh, black or African-American and she is now on heightened uh, concern because she doesn't want to do anything wrong or that could be perceived as wrong or make a mistake. And this is right. like, you know, the old um, Caddyshack sure. when Chevy Chase walks up to Danny. He's like, don't worry about this one. If you miss it, we lose. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, don't put much pressure on the problem. Well, yeah. uh, so it's like if you, um, if you create a scenario where police have to worry more so than they already would, Right. Then what happened? Like, I think the chances of this kind of panic and this kind of mistake are heightened. And then on the other side, if you were telling um, 
somebody pulled over, whatever color they are, that they're targeted by police officers. Say, if you tell all black people that police are out there shooting you at alarming rates and their heightened uh, concern with that, they're going to be more antsy. They're going to be more jittery. They're going to be more likely to act furtively, which is then going to cause the police to overreact on their end. I mean, this is a problem. That's right. This is the human part of the problem. And you could say, well, I don't care. I want cops that are robots. Well, good luck. Yeah, good luck with that. Go find that in Mars because, you know, here we're still human. Yeah, it's, ter- um, it's it's terrible, and and it's so this it, race baiting has consequences that has. I think cause its own problem. Yes, it it spirals out. Um, fitting into this in 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 some way, um, I I've got a couple things I'll throw into the mix. Um, I'm I'm excited. Uh, I don't know exactly how it's going to come out, uh, but there uh, the the Ohio House and the Ohio Senate have both both passed what is. Um, uh, you know, uh, called uh, in in society con- constitutional carry uh, bills that um, I think did that uh, pass both. I didn't think it got yep, to the. Uh, it passed. Senate. It passed both both bodies. Uh, they passed slightly different versions, so now it has to be reconciled in a joint committee. Um, and either one or the other bill will prevail, or they'll combine them and resolve the differences. And then it'll go to Governor De- DeWine if that happens, if they're able to resolve their the differences between the Senate version and the House version. Um, they may even have enough votes to overrule a veto if, well, it, if it passed both. I'm sure DeWine is going to veto it. I'm positive. You think so? He oh, didn't, yeah. He, he, was, now, Gov- he stood his ground. Governor, he, he, Governor. He didn't veto stand your ground. And Governor DeWine is going to veto it. Maybe. I No, I think he will. Uh, his comments over at the Dayton shooting tell me that he's just generally predisposed to, to veto this. I hope he doesn't. I, I hope he does the right thing. Um, you know, it's very clear in the Constitution you have the right to bear arms, and uh, it's very clear why you have the right to bear arms in spite of all the, you know, disambiguation that's out there by people that don't want that right to be uh, recognized. It's very clear that you have the right in and it's in it, you know, whether it's open or concealed, none of that should matter. Um, you know, criminals should be prosecuted. Good guys should be allowed to have their freedom. Yeah. So what you're uh, so when we're talking about constitutional carry. What we're talking about is this right now. Ohio, like many, many, many states, has uh, a process by which you can obtain a license to carry a concealed handgun. Yeah. And uh, that requires training classes and mm-hmm. registration with the sheriff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And you're on a list you can carry concealed. And, and you think, well, what's wrong with that? Well, um, what's wrong with that is now you're on a list. What's wrong with that is uh, the, who knows what classes you're training, et cetera. You really, it, 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 uh, it formalized the process and it looks okay, but there's some, there's some gotchas in there uh, that I don't necessarily agree with. Some of them I do. But um, this is saying you just have a constitutional right to have and possess a firearm in our country. So we're not going to make you jump through the hoops of going to the classes and actually registering uh, and getting a license to carry a concealed handgun. And, you know, you can say that's good, that's bad, that's whatever. But uh, that's what's on the floor right now. I think there's maybe only one or two other states that have that. Um, but I think. Oh, no, 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 there's 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 several now. Are there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, the the. <laughs> There's just a number of problems, and and you know, I mean, the the most obvious one is, you know, bad guys don't go get a concealed carry permit, right? Bad, of course not. So bad guys are carrying no as a what. matter of fact right now. If you want to, like, there's nothing stopping a bad guy. So if you start with the premise that 
the, here's the problem. <laughs> this is the problem with gun control. It's the problem with a lot of this kind of stuff. It's yeah, like the, yeah. you always hear the same thing. Well, we got to do something. Well, if the right. something isn't rationally related to solving the problem, then you're not. You're really doing nothing. No. So by you're saying, virtue signaling. Yeah, by saying, well, we got to do something. So we're just gonna we're not gonna let people carry a concealed handgun. Right. And it doesn't correlate to the number of shootings or murders. Well, then you're doing nothing. Well, I like I like to flip the narrative. So you you have, you know, God bless them and I pray for them and I want them to be at peace. But you have, you know, moms and dads that come and testify about how their son or their daughter was was killed, you know, at at the hands of someone who was armed. Uh, you know, with a gun and therefore we ought to ban all guns or we ought to not let anybody carry and all that kind of stuff, you know, but flip that. There are also millions of stories out there. And I, I love this daughter uh, from the, from the, uh, uh, the diner down in, uh, in Texas. Uh, I think it was called Luby's diner. Uh, she's been up to Ohio a couple of times and testified. I was there once uh, years ago when she testified on the, uh, for the original concealed carry bill. And she came up, she testified that she was in that diner with her mom and dad, her gun. Okay. Uh, so, so a guy came in, I, I mean, if people aren't aware, this has happened years ago, but this guy came into a diner and it's, you know, it's like TJ's here or Frisch's or, you know, it was just a, a, a Sunday or a Saturday morning or whatever. People are having breakfast. This guy comes in, you know, with, with a sawed off or a, or a, you know, a, a semi auto or whatever the hell he had. He had a gun. He came in, slaughtered a bunch of people, reloaded, kept slaughtering them, walked over to her mom and dad, popped them both, killed them right in front of her. In the meanwhile, she's obeying Texas law. She's got her gun locked in the trunk of her car out in the parking lot because she can't bring it into the restaurant. Okay. And she's saying to the state of Ohio, when she was up here from Texas, Hey, I could have defended my, my mom and dad might be here walking around alive today. Had it not been for this idiotic law that, you know, criminals obviously aren't paying attention to the law, don't abide by the law. They walk right in a diner, start shooting people. The, the law abiding people have their guns in the trunk of their car out in the parking lot and they're defenseless. Yeah. And this is, you're right for, you're not going to find it. You're going to find stories like that and you're not going to find them publicized in the media, right? No. It's like, uh, no. uh, or how many crimes were, no. uh, I, I, it, the, I guess the point is you can't say if I ban concealed carry, there will be fewer murders or, or less gun violence. It doesn't correlate statistically. And I've, I've debated people on this stuff before. And I say, listen, I will agree that if you could wave a magic wand and get rid of all guns on the planet, you would eliminate gun violence, but you would not eliminate violence. Now, the problem is you can't wave a magic wand and get rid of all the guns on the planet by simply saying there it's against the law to have one. People will still have them. Now, they're going to say, well, if you had fewer, you'd have fewer guns. It's like nonsense. You're going to have fewer people. In fact, violence, I think, goes up. And if you look in England now, they got all sorts of stabbing problems. I mean, it's like it's always the same. And, uh, you know, the yeah. stats don't add up. You know, we, we, we tried prohibition in this country with alcohol, right? We, we, we said, hey, let's get rid of alcoholism. Let's get rid of wife beating. Let's get rid of, you know, people driving uh, or, you know, riding horses drunk and driving Model A's and T's drunk. Let's just ban alcohol. Let's try that. Okay. Well, we tried that. It doesn't work. People, people are going to go get the yeah. contraband that they want. 
you can't legislate human nature out of existence. For goodness sakes. And, when, when are we going to learn this? And, and, you know, here's what, this is a great little transition because I was watching, I think it was de Blasio who, <laughs> who gave this quote about, um, oh, for God's sake. about leadership yeah. and good leadership <laughs> during the times of COVID or whatever it would he be. He must have read Cuomo's book on and good leadership. It might've been Cuomo actually. I can't, <laughs> I, I confuse those two jackasses, but um, uh, the, the quote went something like this is like, you know, I've done such a great job. You know, you'd be, it's amazing uh, how good a result you can get by putting people to the choice of their lives and livelihood or comply. And I'm, I'm listening to this and he's calling this leadership. He's calling this good leadership. Now, the rest of us who have studied even a page of history would call that authoritarianism and dictatorism, but he's calling it leadership. And the quote was like, you know, you'd be surprised how good a result you can get if you tell people they're not allowed to ever earn a living again unless they get a vaccine. And it's like, yeah, you'd be surprised you put a gun to somebody's head that you could get them to do all sorts of things. Sure. Um, but and he's proud of that as leadership. You know, good leaders lead by example. Good leaders would, would just, uh, you know, give you information or supply uh, real data, right. uh, supply real facts, yeah. uh, give people a real choice on what to do. That's what freedom is. So yeah. I, I've said it a billion times here on the show and in my real life, it'd be easy to get rid of all crime. All you got to do is put jackboots on the ground and don't let people do anything. Sure. You could eliminate crime and you could just redefine what crime is and it'll go away. Yeah. But you're not going to get rid of human nature. You can't legislate human nature. These uh, constitutional carry bills uh, do have some uh, you know, practical common sense uh, uh, protections, if you will, or provisions, you know, like, like, for example, when, you know, during intercourse uh, interactions with the police, uh, the uh, carrier has to affirmatively state that he or she is carrying, you know, just right up front. Hi, officer. Uh, you know, uh, you've pulled me over. I just want you to know that I have a gun in the car. Uh, you know, legally, I'm not a felon, et cetera, et cetera. So you, there is a burden on the carrier to notify the police officer right up front in the interaction. I like that. I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's the way it should be. I think it de-escalates the situation tremendously when you supply that kind of information to a police officer right up front. You know, it gives them a sense of control and that you're an honest citizen and that you're, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're providing that disclaimer. And, and that is in both of the bills. So uh, See, I'd have to think about that one, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, I like that. It, it's um, mandated disclosures like that tend to rub me the wrong way. So I'd have to give that, I'd have I to give that some thought. I understand. And police officers are trained to assume everyone's armed anyway. Yeah. They're taught that at the academy. Uh, it, you and, know, they're taught, they're taught do, you, when you approach a car, you just have to assume that occupant may try to kill you. Sure. And and I guess I, I want to make a distinction between whether somebody should announce it or whether it should be mandated. Because the difference between what's mandated and what should happen and what's mandated and what actually happens as a result of man, they're different things. So it's I like, understand. There, right. There's a notion that like, um, you know, you could say that like we do, uh, the, this is a mass or a perfect one. You could say, well, assume for a second that masks work, but mandates don't. You, the, both things can be true at once. The you know? concealed carry permit uh, requires that same disclosure. It does. But so to, it's just but keeping to me, it you voluntarily, you have voluntarily uh, signed up for that. Um, right. So on the other hand, in this situation, you haven't voluntarily signed up for it. So the constitutional question on the Second Amendment is going to be, is that a permissible 
burden on your exercise of rights. And and I that's why I say I have to give it thought. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm but. saying I'm saying it is. And you know, you know, I was thinking about this, Steve. I was thinking about because uh, you brought up High Noon, or I did. I forget who did uh, one of our broadcast podcasts. We we brought up Gary Cooper, High Noon. You mm-hmm. know uh, how how somebody tries to to think through what their duty is, and then you know almost gets on a train, leaves town, comes back, and says, "Nah, you know, I got to face some bad stuff. I got to i i am I am the line between chaos and order." Um, so it, it's interesting. I started to think about our our heroes, and you know, like. Uh, you know, the, uh, what the Earp brothers and all, we, a lot of the stuff out West was you, you had to check your guns with the sheriff when you came in town. Now these were, yeah. these were territories. They weren't States yet, but the, the idea like in Gary Cooper, high noon or the, the Earp brothers dealing with the Clanton family, you know, a lot of these confrontations between our iconic heroes that we have, um, are, Really, gun cases where you know cowboys come into Dodge City, woohoo! You know, and they're whooping it up. They want to get, you know, they get paid. Want to go down to the whorehouses and go down the saloons. They had to check their guns in, uh, you know, when they were in that uh, in that town, or else you know they were guilty of a gun crime. And you know, we we can't even imagine that today. I mean we, that. I mean that that's kind of outrageous dictatorial behavior that well and and look at some of this like uh so you you've mentioned some of the heroes but take uh unforgiven Clint Eastwood yeah um and little bill was played by uh um, Gene, Gene Hackman. Hackman right and he was a corrupt uh authoritarian sure uh right villain in that yeah. case mm-hmm. and the gun control measure gave him carte blanche authority to pretty Absolutely. much do whatever he wanted to do. Right, right. And that was representative of a typical yep. territorial kind of law policy. Yep. Yeah. You had so, to, yeah, right. You know, if you have this situation where police can force you to make disclosures or police can force you not to, so it, on, on the face of it may seem good you have to make the disclosure. On the other hand, how does that get abused by those who might abuse it? And that's why I say I have to, I have to give all this some more yeah, thought. fair but, enough. All right. Speaking of human nature, let's talk about Christmas. What one nope. other what one other real quickie. This will only take a minute. I I want to talk. This is my outrage of the week. All right, Norm's okay. outrage of the week. Out outrage of the week is this seven thousand five hundred dollar tax credit. Now that's not a deduction, people. A tax credit. So if I owe the IRS seventy five hundred dollars in tax dollars, I got to write that check. A credit would be dollar for dollar taken off my bill. So Biden in this. Uh, Big messy bill that uh, Mansion has has basically uh, put a, a hopefully a permanent halt, but at least a temporary halt on. One of the provisions is a seventy five hundred dollar credit off your tax bill if you buy an, an an electric vehicle. And I just I find that outrageous. It's a subsidy to rich people or at least well to do people. And uh, you know yeah, I, I think I mean, that that that's outrageous to me. It it tilts the table. Uh, so far in favor of Tesla and and the other well, EV. beyond that, like you said, subsidy original, like I mean, a seventy five hundred dollar credit. Who's going to qualify for a seventy five hundred dollar credit? Who pays that much in yeah, taxes? Right. 
Um, right. and, and you can say, unbelievable. you know, that, that you're right. It is a subsidy for the wealthy. It, that, like those kind of, that, it makes me want to. Yeah. They, uh, that, that's got to come out of this bill. If they ever pass that, 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 that's, yeah, that, that's, that's off the hook. Anyway. That, that's sorry. insane. All right. Well, okay. Christmas is five days away. Um, and it turns out Christmas wasn't always five days away as it turns out. It was, <laughs> uh, believe it or not, January 6th. I did some research on this. January 6th was the, uh, sort of the initial historic date of, uh, Christ's birthday. Um, but all that changed, you know, so we didn't, and I didn't know much of this norm. I just had to do some Google research. So none of this is my own, um, knowledge. I had to research it. Uh, but it turns out we didn't really celebrate Christmas until like the fourth century as Christmas. Um, those before us did us being the Christians, Mm -hmm. uh, they did, the pagans did, you know, the Romans did, Mm -hmm. uh, the Norse had Yule. Mm-hmm. as in Yuletide. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Germans, they had uh, their god, Odin. Uh, the Romans were rep- or, uh, worshiping Saturn. Uh, that was the god of agriculture as well as uh, uh, they had another god called, um, I think, Mithra or something like that. I wrote my nose, but I can barely read it. And uh, that was a December 25th holiday. All those, they were they were almost always worshiping the solstice, the winter solstice, yeah. where they would have... Um, the Druids, yeah. Stonehenge. Yeah, right, they, they would, that. and the idea was, look, the days are start gonna, are going to start getting longer, mm-hmm. we can start getting crops in the field, we can start having, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the bountiful times are coming and we're going to celebrate, and it will all be green again, like a green tree in your house, yeah. or a green decorated yeah. tree. Right. And that's sort of where it comes from. Um, and at the beginning of Christianity, the Christians only celebrated uh, Easter. That was sort of, sort of, and that makes sense, right? Well, I mean, yeah. So I was listening to some uh, talking head, and you know, in passing, and yeah, of course, he 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 thinks he's a super Christian, and I, you know, fine, I, I'm sure he is, but there is no such thing. <laughs> but I, I always chuckle when people say, you know, the most, uh, the holiest day to Christians is Christmas. It is not. It's Easter, and always has been. Um, you know, uh, the the, the, the pe- to me, the the, the most amazing human thing about Christmas is the leap of faith by Joseph uh, that he gave his wife, Mary. It would have been, it would have been the height of embarrassment, the height of a betrayal for a husband to be told that his wife is, is bearing a child. She's pregnant. She's going to give birth. And he knows that's not his, bio child that's not that is not a child that he biologically had she is a virgin and she's going to give birth as a virgin right which is a physical impossibility part of the mystery that christians um at least the catholic branch of christianity uh believes and, and 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 we don't need to debate that but that is that is one step in the christian of faith that some believe Mary was a virgin, others do not, and that's fine. But the idea is setting that aside. The idea that the uh, Holy Spirit uh, impregnated Mary and that she is uh, giving birth um, to a, a, a giving birth to the Son of God, okay, who is both man and God is something that is, it's, it's impossible to fully explain. And, and we've spent over 2000 years trying to come to grips to that. To me, that is the, that is the most profound thing about Christmas is Joseph, the husband 
loving his wife, accepting her word, accepting the the uh, the joy of of bringing a child into the world that he knows isn't his, and he is not going to walk away from his responsibility as a husband, and he's going to uh, accept and believe this uh, mystery of Christ and the mystery of uh, the the birth. And and so it's not about, to me, it's not, I mean, the baby just got born, right? I mean, it's not, so we celebrate that Jesus, you know, uh, the word became flesh and and we have Jesus now. That's a wonderful celebration. The Easter celebration uh, which we, we don't need to get into the details of, but I mean, obviously Christ's suffering on the cross and leading up to that in his decision, his conscious decision to accept the most horrible kind of slow death, imaginable crucifixion. Hey man, that, that is the most profound Christian holiday. Yeah, no, I can't argue with that. Um, if there is a prof- if there is one that is above all others, I, I guess prioritizing it that way I, I, is fine. I suppose, I guess from my view, it is all the same to me. You are celebrating the same individual, the same person, uh, the the human God, you know, the Son of Man. And it's it's such a crazy notion almost on its face that how could you ever make it up? You know, it, it's almost like it's too much. It, 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 the it's almost too much, but, uh, and you, you know, the, the, even the early Americans agreed with you, Norm, they didn't celebrate Christmas. In fact, Boston, they outlawed Christmas, uh, until I think 1870. The idea was we don't be like those Brits. We're done with those people anyway. So they do it. We don't. And then, uh, you know, you had the Protestants who sort of rejected a lot of it, um, because, but, uh, I think, I think the notion of Christmas people use this paganistic history to try to denounce Christianity. And I would think quite the opposite. I don't have any problem with it. I think what's interesting to me is the Pope, uh, I actually wrote down, uh, it was uh, Pope Julius I, um, sometime in the fourth century, uh, declared Christmas Christmas and chose the 25th of December. And I think the idea was, look, we don't, we're Christians and why should we, we want to be as inclusive as we can. So let's just include this other stuff. Let's and the more people that get included, the more people we can convert to Christianity and the better everything is. And off we go. And sure. I, and I think that was his philosophy. And I, I still think even with Santa Claus, even with um, uh, all the secular stuff that's emerged around Christmas, it still gives us an opportunity to think about the things you're talking about. What really matters. Yeah. Why you is know. it called Christ Mass. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> and if that's not explanatory, it's not, it's not Santa Mass. You know, right. it's not Rudolph Mass. You know, it's not uh, Abominable Snowman Mass. It's Christ Mass. Right, and it's it, it's it's an opportunity to to think about those things. And you can say of all the horrible things that have happened in the name of Christianity, but. You could also have a much. You could fill volumes and volumes of books of all the good things that have happened as a result of Christianity. And, Absolutely, uh, sure. you have uh, Christ who basically changed human history forever, whether you believe or not. Yeah, it happened. Well, people are the problem. So, you know, when when people point out all all the sins of the Catholic Church or the sins of the greater Christian Church, you know, which includes uh, the Catholic Church includes. Uh, you know, Eastern Orthodox uh, includes uh, Protestantism and Calvinism and all the other isms, Mormonism, etc. 
you know, those, 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 those are institutions run by men, women. So, and corrupted by men and women, yeah, not so, God. So they're not going to be perfect. And they, you know, come on. So I defy it's anybody, all so obvious. And, and you know, I, I'm not been shy about where I am with this lately, but I defy anybody just go read the Sermon on the Mount, like what is it, Matthew 7 or, or any of the Gospels, and find me something in there that's a bad lesson. Exactly. Find me one thing that's right. a bad lesson. Whether you believe it or not, go right. find me something that you don't agree with and then try to defend that. Hey, man, if, if, if we all believed, and this is, so I sound a little bit like Freud, okay, you know, that religion's invented by people because we're, we're fearful of, of a society with no religion, but or for fearful of, of, of no afterlife. But think of what society will be and what it's increasingly looking like it's going to be, uh, which is the warning signal that we should take from this. If we all thought, you know, that there is no meaning to life, that, that we just do a dirt nap. God is dead, says Nietzsche. Or right? God, God never existed right. to begin with, so, you know, fine. You know, but just think of the outcome of that. If you think that there are no afterlife repercussions for being hideously um, harmful to your fellow man or woman, you know, for, for living a life of, of complete uh, wantonness, for, for, you know, ruining the lives of other people, taking the lives of other people, taking away innocence from, from children, and, and debauchery and, and just living like a pig. If, if that's the society that we are slowly mutating into, I don't want to be part of that society. And, and I always say to my atheist friends, and most of them nod their head in agreement when I say this, thank God every day, or thank uh, Gaia, or, or, or thank just your lucky stars that so much of our society identifies itself as monotheistic, as either Muslim, Jew, Christian. Thank, you know, thank your, your lucky stars, if you're an atheist, that most people have an inner sense of right and wrong, because were it not for monotheism, were it not for Christianity, for example, uh, just can you imagine uh, what things would be like. We would we would do things like the Romans did. We would decimate uh, our enemies. We would just go in and kill all the children, all the men, and just take the women for slaves. I mean, why not? Right? There's no there's no repercussions. There's no judgment at the end of our lives for committing atrocities. And uh, I I don't want to live like that. Well, and and beyond judgment for atrocities, because I I, I think it's 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 deeper than that. Even it, it is this notion that we are imperfect, and it's okay to be imperfect, and we have something to strive for, and and we have a moral structure around us that's inherent in us also. And you know, if you if you don't live with that, if you don't live with your within your own moral structure, and uh, you don't have any boundaries, it is chaos. And I guess the crime and punishment comes to mind, you know, go read crime and punishment and, yeah. and it, it's in it, however many pages Dostoevsky makes the point you just made in, in a very profound artistic way. Um, whereas like Raskolnikov, I think is going to go be this Ubermensch and commit this perfect crime and not care at all about it because it's a utilitarian existence. He has defined his own morality sure. and uh, he's going to go kill this old lady because, you know, darn it, I can do better with her money than she, 
Yeah. And uh, justify it that way. Machiavelli. Yep. It's a Machiavellian sure. notion or the Ubermensch, uh, Nietzsche's Ubermensch. And he finds out quickly that it doesn't work for him. That, you know, it's like he's got this moral compass inside him, almost like uh, the telltale heart. That's um, um, uh, a ground post telltale heart, right? Yeah. He's got this moral compass inside him and he essentially gets away with the crime and confesses to it anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then has redemption at the end. And there, there's a lot of Christian themes rolling through that whole book. But, uh, you know, at the very end, he's in prison and it's like life is like it's like redemption. Even though he's done this evil thing, he's got redemption. And, you know, he realized that he can't you can't define your own morality and expect to live a meaningful life. Yeah, I, I love I love the accoutrements, if you will, or the milieu of Christ's birth. And, you know, and I realize it's it's been romanticized and I realize it's it's some of it's probably even made up, you know, that he, they say, for example, in Nazareth, that that uh, he probably wasn't in, you know, a manger. He was probably actually in a cave of some kind or, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera, or, or a dugout, you know, just in the ground, uh, whatever. But what I what I love about the birth of of our of the son of God, of of our savior is the concept that this isn't, you know, somebody who came down from the heavens on some kind of, uh, you know, a billowy a beer of clouds wearing a gold crown and bejeweled, uh, you know, with uh, lasers going off and spaceships and, uh, you know, and, and uh, a big, huge choir of, of, uh, of supporters and, uh, you know, and, and all, all of the kingly, um, accoutrements. That's, that's not how our God came down to reveal himself. Uh, the son of our God came down instead, the most humble circumstances. Okay. A, 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 an absolutely destitute carpenter on the road with, you know, a donkey and, and his wife and almost no money, just the rags that they're wearing, begging for, a place for her to 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 uh, push the baby out, you know, into straw or, or or onto the dirty ground. Right, that's our Son of God. That's how humble. That's how lowly He presented Himself. And if that doesn't give people struggling, people with uh, mental, people with the emotional problems, people with um, people struggling with uh, perhaps unemployment right now, people dealing with drug problems. If that doesn't give you something to relate to, Jesus was born in circumstances not too damn different, okay, than a hell of a lot of us, right? That, that Or even worse. worse. Yeah, worse, than, far worse, right. So think of, think of that. Think of that. Think of, how, think of how God could have had him come down, right? How, how he could have been presented to the world. And think of that lesson, just the very fact of how he was introduced to mankind, okay? Not, not as some kind of God, not as, uh, you know, Poseidon, you know, not as Zeus, you know, but as this little fragile baby born, you know, in some corner of, of some, you know, farm lot, in Nazareth, uh, and you know, uh, three kings stumbling their way, 
you know, from the Orient following a star happened to locate this, you know, insignificant birth. And and they believe, my goodness, this is a sign from the heavens. And, you know, those were pagan kings. And, And if they could see the light, you know, who are we to say that we can't at least investigate that and possibly adopt some of those lessons for our own lives. And I, I think it's a beautiful thing. No, I couldn't agree more. Well said. And, uh, the more you, the more you look, the more you will find maybe is, uh, or to say it in the biblical way, seek and you shall find. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if that's biblical or not, but it sure sounds it. Anyway, we're, I'm no pro on uh, the book on of Steve. The book, of, yeah, <laughs> that's a scary thought. Yeah, it's a scary thought. So anyway, for those of you out there that listen to the show, thanks for sticking around. It's been a another uh, uh, episode here of Lawyer Talk, a long one, but I think we covered some topics. I think they were good topics. Hopefully, you were entertained and maybe a little bit of a um, maybe you were uh, irritated, so maybe irritated, and maybe that's good. Maybe a little inspiration at the end, right? Talking about Christmas. So as you go into the holiday week here. Uh, enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. Uh, Norm, you said it the best. It's a time to contemplate all those things. Believe it or not, uh, they are great things to at least think about. I think it's all too easy to say, well, I reject this part, so I'm going to reject it all. Uh, don't fall into that trap. There's, uh, I defy you to read the New Testament and, and find something that you don't find uh, or that, that is uh, somehow bad or immoral. Um, hey, it's, so, it's not all bad out there in the world. Joy to the world. People. Joy to the world, right. Give, receive, uh, be a good human. Uh, so uh, this has been Lawyer Talk off the record on the air for the last time before uh, the New Year's, I think. Uh, maybe get in here next week, so I can't promise that. Maybe we'll do a New Year's spectacle. Uh, who knows? But uh, if not, we'll sign off until next year. If so, we'll talk next week. Um, for those of you tuning into uh, the Q&A series, to the um, uh, the breakdown series, just go to lawyertalkpodcast.com, submit your questions, submit your topic. We'll get it covered right here. If you want uh, Norm and I to do the discussion long form, we'll do that. If uh, you want me to do it short form, I'll do that. If you just don't care, we'll do it one way or another, whatever we decide. Hey, one thing. Good luck, Luke Fickle. Uh, ex-Ohio State head football coach, now coach for the University of Cincinnati Bearcats, go take on the Crimson Tide and defeat them and go on to the national championships. As hard and difficult as that may be, Ohioans, Central Ohioans, Luke Fickle from, you know, DeSales High School, product of Ohio State, let's all get behind Luke Fickle if, if OSU can't be in the national championships, we have another Ohio team. Let's back him. Go, go Bearcats. Go Bearcats. I'll, I'll echo that. And with that, we will sign it off. Lawyer Talk off the record, on the air, at least until now.